Good morning. I hope your holiday season has been great. Uh, there's all sorts of fun traditions that we all get to be a part of. My family, one of the things we do on Christmas, we've been playing multiple games of Monopoly, and so that's kind of become a tradition. Uh, so, some of us have uh, things that we dread going into for the holiday season. In my family, we play four games of Monopoly, and uh, if you didn't get it, it's a blessing and a curse, depending on who wins. But uh, I, I hope that your holidays have been great, whether it's Christmas or the last day of the year, today, uh, that we get to kind of gather together and reflect, and the, the holidays can be busy times, right? There's things that we buy gifts for, we plan meals, we, we gather together with family, uh, but there's also something particularly about today that we get to reflect about the year and uh, kind of look ahead to what next year might have in store for each one of us. And so this morning, uh, I'm excited to get to share with you a little bit on that. Uh, if you have a Bible, I'll invite you to turn with me to Genesis, the beginning of the Bible. And one of my loves for the Bible and one of my loves uh, with, with looking to Scripture and setting up a new year is that it's not just history, but it's actually stories and history that is our history and our stories uh, that, that God is continuing to illuminate different pieces of Scripture and reveal himself in multiple ways. And so as we open our Bibles this morning, and as we kind of think about on this, the last day of the year, uh, what the future might hold, uh, maybe we can find some guidance in, in Scripture this morning. So if you have your Bible, we'll begin with Genesis uh, chapter 2. We'll begin with the beginning. Uh, so if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 2, I'm just going to read the first three verses to begin this morning. Genesis 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God rests after all of his creation craziness, all this creating, all the busyness of doing, God rests. And for me, there's kind of these seasons, am I okay on the mic? I know if I need to adjust it for some feedback, I don't want to be annoying the whole time. Uh, one of the things that, that often happens in these busy seasons is we can kind of fall into these traps of saying, I'm just really busy this season. There's just a little bit more work I need to do this season. Before I can celebrate Christmas, I, I just got to get these things done. But there's something that's very... I don't know what to do. <laughs> Should I go to a handheld? Is that you? Is this one okay? Is this one all right? Is this one the best one? Hello, hello. Testing one, two, three. Hello, hello. Okay. So follow me on this for a second. So God rests at the beginning of creation. He, he creates, does all these things for six days, but the beginning of our story is God deliberately planning this day of rest. Not saying, yeah, 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 but I'm just too busy. Not saying, this is just the season that I'm in. 
not needing to put in a little extra work. God rests. After six days of hard work, he says, enough is enough. I'm going to rest. And in the Hebrew language, uh, the word for rest is, is this Hebrew Shabbat. It's, it's where we get the word Sabbath from. And if you were to translate it directly, it can mean to stop, to cease, to be done. But the brilliance of this word is it also can mean to celebrate. This day of rest, Sabbath, a day to slow, but to also celebrate. Sabbath isn't the same as just a normal day off. If you're like me, my days off end up being the days that I do the stuff that I don't get paid for. Right? I end up doing the laundry, cleaning the house, paying the bills, coaching the teams, transporting the kids, repairing the things, cleaning up, always doing. And one of my favorite questions that I'm often trying to tell myself what might happen if God had your rapt attention? What might happen if you were fully available to your friends and your family? No phone, no extra work we had to get done, no limitations on the time or attention, a day to reconnect, a day to recenter on the things that really matter. And so God is doing something brilliant the very beginning of the story, a day to wake up into a world that is good and beautiful and true and celebrate it as an act of worship. How many of us would admit that's what our Saturdays look like? Not, not so much. And so, you know, God sets this pace from the very beginning. God worked six days and then rested for one. And so there's this natural rhythm that we begin to pick up on. Genesis. The story of Genesis is kind of God setting this natural rhythm for us. There's a way to flourish, and there's a way to thrive. There's a way to thrive, and then there's a way to die. There's work, and then there's rest. And many of you will know if your life is all work, you can kind of get numb to things pretty quickly. If your life is all work, you just kind of fall into this machine of doing things. But on the flip side of that, if your life is all rest, which is a real problem for some of us, it can be depressing. Life can feel meaningless at times. It's hard to find purpose. We aren't living into this natural rhythm that God has created of how we're supposed to operate. And there's so many different traps around us at all times. We live in a culture where it's like, go, 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 do, do, do. We have Netflix and Instagram and a million different things that make us feel as though we're experiencing without actually having to experience. And so for us, there's this easy trap of both overwork and underwork robbing us of the rhythm that God put in store for us, robbing us of the capacity to live so God sets this natural rhythm for us at the very beginning. But if you know, as the story goes, we don't follow this rhythm very well. And so God's people continue, and, and, and as it gets into Exodus, they actually are enslaved in Egypt. And so things have gone completely away from the way that God intended them. Now people are in slavery. And so once again, if you open your Bibles to Exodus, 
chapter 20, God descends, he's, decides he's going to try to get this point across one more time. And so Moses is leading God's people out of slavery in Egypt. And as he's leading them out, he, he calls Moses up onto a mountain, gives them the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus ch chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 8, God speaks these words. He says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day, it's a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your sons or daughters, nor your manservants or your maidservants, your animals, or the foreigner within your gates. Nobody shall work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is within them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Israel is to remember this day of rest. He says, remember the Sabbath day. Don't forget it. For us, I think a, a qualifying question for a Sabbath could be, is this rest and is this worship? And if the answer to either one of those questions is no, maybe we hold off on it six other days to do that stuff. But God is doing something with a day off for us. In this, in this part of the scriptures, a commandment, he says, you should not work. Something that's really changed uh, the way I read scripture, and especially the Ten Commandments, is negative commandments, things that tell us not to do something, is actually kind of a blessing. It creates more space. I think as humans, at least my desire is to be asked to do more. I have purpose in that. Ask me to do things. Ask me to get things done. So a lot of times we look at a Ten Commandment that would say, don't do this, and we're thinking God's holding out on us a little bit, or it's bad. But something I'm really realizing in this season of life is to appreciate being asked to not. When God asks us not to do something, it's usually clearing the space us to be who we really ought to be. These commandments create boundaries and make room for this wide open freedom that's done really well. You know, so if, if we go, okay, I'll, I'll begin to think about how I could do that, how I could carve out time, but how should I spend my Sabbath? Jesus teaches us to pray. Surely there's an example of how we give a day of Sabbath. And the brilliance of Scripture is there isn't this in-depth description. And I think it's intentional because we need to create this rhythm, this practice, but we're also, also different. Here's an example for you. One of the things that I love to do on my Sabbath day is I love surfing in the Oregon coast. And one of the things I've found is not all of my friends enjoy doing that as well. It's cold. You know, it can be frosty at times. We gear up in these wetsuits and go paddling out. And my friends are thinking, you're crazy. What are you doing? But there's something about the freedom of it. There's something worshipful in just the quiet and the peace of being on this piece of fiberglass with deep, dark ocean below and just kind of being vulnerable for a moment. The way that you find that freedom, the way that you find Sabbath is going to be unique to who you are, but God says you need to find it. 
the other thing I've noticed in that commandment is that there's that odd list that, that goes on to say, you know, your servants, men and women, your animals. There's this idea that Sabbath is for every day, everybody. It's not a day for mom to say, I'm going to kick back today and kids, you make the dinner, you do the work. Dad's going to just chill inside while the kids go outside and do all the work. No, there's something about this routine that says Sabbath is for everybody, the rich, the poor, the old, the not so old, the legal, the illegal, the refugee, the citizen, the animals. There's something about this rhythm of life that if we do it right, our community thrives. And you'll notice in the commandment, it ends with going back into Genesis, right? It says, because on the seventh day, the Lord rested, and therefore it's holy. Okay, this is where I want to geek out with you for a little bit. Because there's something really interesting about how this progression of the story goes. We have, at the beginning, God creating this natural rhythm, this thing for us to figure out. We don't really get it. And so then Moses comes, and he's leading the people out of slavery, and he comes down and he says, this is a commandment from God that we need to have a rest day. We need to practice the Sabbath. But then, if you know the story, they don't do it so well. And so 40 years later, in Deuteronomy, it shows up again. And this is the brilliance of, of Scripture. You might have heard it before, but the first five books of the Bible are what we know as the Torah, right? And so you have two parts to the Torah. You have the first law, and then you have the second law. And so the first law, you know, it is like Leviticus into, uh, or Exodus into Leviticus. But then the second law is found in Deuteronomy. It's in that very word. Deutero is second, nomus is law, so it means second law. And so there's the first law that God gives us in the Ten Commandments, right? Moses presenting this list of commandments. But then there's this second law that happens. The first law comes on this mountain as people are escaping slavery. Moses is leading people, and literally days into the movement, he's saying, here's the promises that God has for us. Here's the commands, the things that we should do. But then 40 or so years later, Moses gathers the people, and he's kind of revisiting this. There's a new generation. Some of the babies that were in backpacks as they were fleeing slavery are now adults. And so Moses is going, okay, we're going to revisit this. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, once again, this idea of Sabbath comes up. If you have your Bible, Deuteronomy 5, uh, verse 12. Check out the language here. Once again, it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. This language is starting to sound familiar. On it you should not do any work, neither you, nor your sons or daughters, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, not the foreigner within your gates, so that your servants may rest as you do. Now this is where it changes in Deuteronomy. Verse 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Okay, so something brilliant is, is happening here, where God first sets in motion this idea of Sabbath at the very beginning of creation. 
we don't really get it. We overwork. We do things. So then God commands it, and he says, look, I'm, I'm leading you out of slavery into something great. I command you to have a Sabbath day. We still don't really get it. And so now Moses is pulling people together and saying, look, we need to have a Sabbath day. Remember that we were slaves in Egypt. And you'll notice that each time that this is impressed in the, in the scripture, it's kind of looking back to the first one. When, when it says in Exodus, or the Ten Commandments, it ends with God did this. Remember in Genesis how God rests. And then in Deuteronomy, it's saying, remember how you were slaves. That time that we talked about this in Exodus. This is the brilliance of what's happening. On Mount Sinai, the Sabbath is a rhythm to be learned, an art to be mastered. But here in Deuteronomy, it's more of a protest. It's a protest against Egypt, against Pharaoh, against slavery, against the busyness of life. The first law is an, inv an invitation from God. But in the second law, it's a warning to stay away from the system that Egypt built. It's almost saying that, remember, Egypt is somewhere we don't want to go back to. Remember that you were slaves, and Sabbath is this anti-slavery movement to slow, to not have to produce. If you think about the people hearing this at the time, remember that you were slaves. They had a rich uh, idea of who Pharaoh was and what Egypt was like. The scripture tells the stories about Pharaoh demanding people to work harder, not be lazy, up the quota, and Pharaoh's relentless at how much he makes them work. Doesn't matter how hard they worked, it was never enough. They lived in a society that demanded more. They lived in a society where they had instant access to having to do more work. They lived in a society where at any point they would be asked to do more. The whole culture of Egypt this desire for more. There's a little note at the very beginning of Exodus where it says that Pharaoh was having the slaves build storage cities, cities just to store things, right? More, 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 never enough. And, and the truth is that slaves don't get a Sabbath. The value of a slave is in their availability and then how much they produce. And so there's this interesting thought in that, that rest is actually a byproduct of freedom. The commandment is, remember, you're not slaves anymore. You're not in Egypt. You're free to rest. I think in this moment, it is interesting because Sabbath is taught to Israel to stay free from slavery by exercising Sabbath and also to never become the slave drivers. The commandment talks about how to treat men and women, servants and foreigners and animals. Not only will you never go back to Egypt, but you will never become Egypt. There's something in the ability to rest that not only frees us, but frees those around us. And so this is where we get to say, okay, that's a lot of history. That's a lot of Old Testament stuff, but this is our story. And what I would say is Egypt is alive again. Egypt is active. We live in a society and a culture where more is better, newer, better.
faster, create more, produce more, respond to my email now. I sent you a text message. I see that you read it. Call me back. Leave me a voicemail. And see, Egypt is lousy if you're a slave. But it's not bad if you're an Egyptian. Some of us are slaves to things. But others of us might be the slave drivers. And we need to repent. And we need to be blessed by the gift of Sabbath. We need to receive this commandment in the new year to slow. Because all around us, from the very beginning, there's this unquenchable lust for more in our world. We work more than ever before. We have quicker access to everything than ever before. You carry an office around in your pocket with you everywhere you go. You roll over in the morning and you unlock access to all the people and all the things that need your attention at that exact moment. And so when we start to think about this idea of Sabbath, of rest, man, it, it can seem really foreign to a lot of us. There's this article that was in the Atlantic not too long ago, and, and it was called Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? It's a great article. And I think te technology is incredible. I think it's amazing. I love it. Uh, and it does a lot of good in the world. But just as we read in Scripture today, just as Moses comes back 40 years later to address and reemphasize a commandment, I think there's an idea that every generation has its blind spots. Every culture develops routines. And the truth is for us this morning, the truth is in my life, digital addiction is a serious thing keeping a lot of us from experiencing true Sabbath. How many parents would be willing to admit that you, you could have a kid that would say, my dad's always on his phone. My mom's never really that present. How many of us would have friends that would say, you seem to be more interested in documenting what we're doing than actually doing it. You seem to be really into those likes rather than the conversation at hand. And so many times we see generations that kind of rebel against what their parents did, right? That get tattoos or listen to different types of music. I've always thought it'd be really cool if uh, the next generation all get pagers or something to really stick to mom and dad, like bring back the pagers. But there's something that, unless you address what's happening around you, will continue in the cycle of falling into this trap and needing God to knock us on the head a little bit. We work more than ever. We have more than ever. We're unhappy just as much as ever. And a lot of us don't have time to pause in our lives. Something I'm striving for in this new year is where am I resting and worshiping in my weekly routine? Where is that something that I can identify? That was rest and worship. It wasn't me just like zoning out to Netflix for 10 hours. That was me resting and worshiping. There was something rejuvenating about that. I, I, I got to see and experience the living God in our world. And in doing that, there was a prayer that uh, I, I was given that I kind of made for myself, and, and I want to share that with you this morning. This is something that I've been praying, and I'm going to continue to pray in the new year. It goes like this. I don't need more stuff. I don't need to work more hours. 
I don't need another commission. My house project might take longer than I want it to. I don't need the perfect score. I have nothing to prove. My identity is secure. It isn't in owning my own business. It isn't in how well I'm known. It isn't in how many likes I got. I don't need a brand new iPhone. I don't need to experience everything. I don't need more stamps on my passport. I don't have to eat out at the best restaurants every meal. My kids don't always have to be in ballet, play soccer year round. I don't always have to win. I don't have to look younger or stronger or thinner. I don't have to make everybody happy. And I don't have to get everything that I want. It is enough. The truth is, and, and something that I'm finding as I read the scriptures over and over again, is God has this amazing plan in store for each one of us. 2018 holds a lot of greatness for each one of us. But if we go into the year without the rhythm that God has in store, many of us are going to be missing it. This is our story. A lot of us were slaves to a lot of different things that demand our time and our attention. But we're not slaves anymore. We're part of a new kingdom with a new king. And our king is a Sabbath-keeping, Sabbath-giving God. And the urge for us would be to leave here today and say, that sounds great, but... When I was in church, I missed all these calls. This is just a season where I have to finish. And there's no guilt in that. But we're missing out. Why the heck are you not taking a Sabbath? Because I'm busy. Well, stop being busy. You're commanded to slow. And in the same way that we can take communion and say, I'm accepting the gift the body and the blood of Christ broken and poured out for me, I'm going to accept the gift of Sabbath and what that might do in my life. How that would change me. How that would change my family. How that would change those around me. Make 2018 be the healthiest, most accomplished, most present, and most restful year of your life yet. Let's pray together.